From the GHJ Media Clips archive, Kevin Getz, founder and CEO of Screen Engine ASI, talks about the little-known but highly influential area of market research. He's the author of Audienceology, How Moviegoers Shape the Films We Love. Read Kevin's chapter, Market Research, in the Movie Business Book. This interview is from October 2020 with me and host Elan Heimoff, head of the Proper Participation Services Practice at GHJ. Listen up. I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Movie Business Podcast Series, where we uh, do our best to make sense of the new motion picture ecosystem. With me today is Professor Jason Squire, who I will be introducing in a second, as well as our guest speaker of today's podcast, Kevin Getz, the founder and CEO of Screen Engine. I will introduce Jason, who will then in turn introduce Kevin, and then we'll get into our Q&A. Welcome, Jason and Kevin. Thank you. Uh, what I want to do again, Jason uh, is professor at the USC School of Cinematic Arts and the editor of the movie business book, Fourth Edition. Jason, take it from here. Well, thanks so much, and thank you, uh, Ilan and Kevin. This is to introduce Kevin Getz, who is founder and CEO of Screen Engine ASI, one of the most influential market research companies in the entertainment industry. He has tested over 4,000 movies and countless TV programs worldwide, and is a trusted consultant to numerous studio and network heads, independent film and TV executives, producers, and directors. Began his career at NRG, now Nielsen Content, before serving as president of the worldwide motion picture group for market research company OTX, now Ipsos. The Los Angeles Times named him the doctor of audienceology and one of the 100 most influential people in Southern California. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. I think that's an old bio that you uh, that you said because I, I think my uh, current number is past 6,000 <laughs> movies and television shows. So We're going to have to correct that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that, I don't know if I want to admit that. It sort of gives away my age, but uh, there you go. Well, very good. So let's jump right in especially in light of COVID. What was it like at the company when COVID started to unfold? What were those early decisions and conversations like? How did the company pivot? Well, aside from abject terror, which was the um, initial response, I think, you know, I didn't really believe the, uh, I don't think anyone really did, the, uh, the magnitude of what was to come. Uh, I remember one of my clients saying, we're going to cancel all screenings, test screenings, in-person screenings for the next 30 days. And I thought that was like, oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? And then others started following suit. So, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by nature, and I always find the opportunity in situations I've had to all my life. And I didn't feel any differently this time. So I assembled an immediate emergency, what I call strike team to come together and discuss positive ways to pivot that we can serve our clients. And some of those ways were creating our offline testing screen, test screenings to online test screenings. And that was done through a, uh, an, an immediate pivot, as we said, with um, 
with our engineers and our software programmers and uh, and software engineers, and we 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 crafted a system where we would allow filmmakers to watch people watching their movies. So we would recruit consumers onto a platform. We would uh, they could actually watch them reacting in split screens. Um, we went up to and we go up to 150 people. And uh, the amount of information, the sheer amount of information you get is really fascinating because it's, it's almost the exact same things you get in the theater experience, except you don't get the, the obviously the, the ambient contagion that often happens with a live experience. But from a diagnostic standpoint, you know, watching a piece of content on a computer screen or on a television screen in your home is no different than watching it in a movie theater uh, in terms of the pace, the ending, the character investment, confusions, things like that. So we were able to pivot in that way really successfully, and we were able to bring that to our pilots as well in television. Thank the Lord that I, we, ha my senior team, had the wherewithal to pivot several years ago in from a, what, what I started out with as a full-on movie research company to uh, movies comprising about 40% of our revenue as opposed to television and streaming services, which took up the other 60%-ish, you know. And so we were able to continue because those businesses were flourishing, so uh, particularly streaming, but also television. And so those, those revenue numbers have really sustained pretty well. The thing that was really affected was the in-person of it all and anything to do with the in-person of it all, which was movie going, that is creative advertising testing, that is movie screenings, that is tracking of movies. Those things went bye-bye for the moment. But we were able to craft a new tracking product called PostVOD, which was PostVOD was and is a, a exit poll, essentially, system where we gauge people's reactions after they watch something on PVOD, who did they watch with, uh, what was the reaction to the content, to what degree were they going to recommend it or have a call to action in terms of doing something, letting a friend know or whatever it might be. And that proved to be obviously very fortuitous with trolls coming out and of course King of Staten Island and Scoob. Mm -hmm. We were able to get most of the studios to sign on to that almost right away. We also, fortunately, several years ago, started the first ever, we call it sort of a combo tracker. So we were tracking movies, but we also had a television tracker. And then we also had a streaming and home entertainment tracker. So when we have all of those things, we, you, you can look at things in a more holistic fashion, right? Because you're able to then see where, where things are gravitating towards from a platform standpoint. Thank you. Um, Thank you. What I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to jump into the thousands and thousands of films um, in your database and, and see if you can share what you see, uh, the current state of our industry, and just our short-term plans. Like, what do we do now uh, as we yeah. Yeah, yeah, in no. this world of, of COVID-19? Yeah, no, it's it's a it's the question du jour, or certainly the question that everyone is thinking about and will be thinking about. So let's take it back to pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, there was a, a phenomenon happening um, with 
movie theater worthiness or movie theater going, right? What constituted a movie theater worthiness? And what we began to see was that attendance was waning in certain generational groups, mainly Gen Zs and millennials. But Xers and boomers were still sort of going at not as they weren't increasing tremendously, but there was still a somewhat rise. But the drop in Z's and millennials was much steeper to the point where it couldn't overcome the, uh, the, the, those negatives couldn't overcome the climbs and the increases we got in the latter two generations. So that meant that you better be thinking about the future because the younger generations simply did not embrace movie theater going like, for example, I am. I'm the last year of the boomer generation. And we have a sort of a nostalgic feel about movies. And, and it's a very different relationship that I have with movies than, say, my, uh, my godson, my, you know, 14 or 15 year old godsons do. So therein um, lies the biggest clue. Because what we began seeing is more as the population grew, more people were actually going to the movies, but they were seeing far fewer films. And so coupled with the confluence of the perfect storm of this interruption called the streaming interruption, in other words, in the last 50 years, we've survived two major interruptions, one being the home entertainment disruption and one being sort of the internet disruption. We, we, more movies begot more movies, right? and systems at home began to increase. But what happened in the last disruption, which really started about two years ago, two and a half, three years ago maybe, was the perfect storm of price, convenience, and choice all coming together to form a value proposition that really gave consumers, and particularly young consumers at that, younger consumers, pause into why they should leave their homes to see a movie. And that to me is the most important insight that I, can, that I could have offered pre-COVID because what we discovered again was if you weren't planning for the future 10 years from now and understood this distinction, you will be left in the, in the dust. So movie theater worthiness is now something that is almost the aberrant while everything is streaming worthy. So in other words, it used to be everything could come into a movie theater and it would have different release patterns and this different this or that, you know, different, um, different um, stays in the movie, different spins, different um, numbers of screens, et cetera. But now what you're seeing are the decision being made for, do I spend the money price, leave my house convenience, and do I have much to choose from, choice? Or do I stay home and for a family of four, which would cost somewhere about, with concessions, et cetera, uh, about 60 bucks, I'm rounding, compared to five streaming services that cost underneath $60 for an entire month of unlimited, basically, content, Right. You start to see, good Lord, you better have a very high bar, very high mark to qualify for that theater-worthy barometer. 
And that is where we came in to say, we need to help our clients from a research standpoint become much more adept and smart about making decisions that were crucial to determine the difference between is it a streaming movie, which is almost every movie because there's something for somebody somewhere, right? Versus is it a movie theater experience, which is far more of a carnival ride and a much uh, greater commitment. And those things have never been more clear, but for whatever reason, uh, until COVID, I don't think the studios necessarily got that. Some did a far better job than others. Clearly Disney was by far ahead of others knowing that theatrical worthiness had a meaning and being in a theater had a real uh, extraordinary financial benefit. But many, many movies just simply in the last couple of years didn't belong in a movie theater. They might have been there um, and might have made some money, but in order to support the infrastructure of a, of a motion picture studio, you're into it for you need to make big bets because you need to make big profits. So the answer really then is if more people are actually going to the theater per capita and but are seeing far fewer movies, make fewer movies, but make them count. Make them count. So there has to be two things happening in theatrical distribution. There has to be a consolidation of movie theaters because we just will not need to have as many theaters, which is, I think, a good thing. And we will also see probably fewer distribution center, theatrical distribution centers, because they're really expensive to maintain. Maybe there'll be some combinations of studios coming together to share in some of those distribution expenses. And I say that because, again, I absolutely love movies. I love going to the movie theater, but only for certain films. And I think if you did a poll to all of your friends, they would agree with that. Most people don't like to see everything in a theater. It's just a fact, you know? So if you understand that premise, you could really succeed in this world. Because then what you essentially do is you bifurcate your studio. You create something that is loads of content gets made and produced, but it gets made for streaming services. And then those rare circumstances go theatrical. And those have big marketing budgets attached to them, et cetera. Because, and I'll, I'll sort of end on this note, if I may, which is every movie if made and marketed for the right price should make money. Every movie, because if you know in advance what you have, if in advance you know what you actually have in terms of the size of your audience, who wants to see it, the platform on which they will most embrace it, it makes everyone's life much easier and you can make much better business decisions. Now, if you have a movie that is high uh, special effects and you say, you know what, this is a movie that has limited potential and if you comp the movie to other movies, it could only make maybe $80 million in a movie theater. And, and the uh, filmmaker comes to you and says, you know, it, that may be, but I can't make this movie for under $160 million. You don't make the movie or you don't make it there. You have to find a way 
to cut it down completely uh, budgetarily so that you can know that you're making something responsibly for the level of intensity of interest in something rather than waiting till afterwards and finding out that you made a movie that only limited number of people want to see. And of course that happens all the time. Fortunately, you know, Green Hassan Jenks have, um, you know, can appreciate this uh, as, as auditors, you uh, will well know that postmortems are really interesting and going in and seeing what works and what doesn't work to me is fascinating. We, and my company have had the good fortune of participating in some of those kinds of postmortems. What worked, what didn't work. Almost every mistake that is made in Hollywood and pre-COVID, post-COVID is made in pre-green light. And it's made because people don't understand their true audience sort of potential. And if they did know that, they wouldn't make most of the decisions that they make. We Screen Engine ASI have a product that has been astoundingly successful called capability testing. And what capability testing does is it measures uh, material, measures the DNA of material prior to a script even being written, or certainly when a script is written, before you shoot a frame of film. Before. And that we assign about a 30% risk mitigation to that process. Because knowing what you have going in will put you that much ahead of the game or that much behind the eight ball. So knowing what your DNA capability is, your audience potential is, knowing that the intensity of the interest is at this level or that level will be make all the difference in the world in terms of every movie if made and marketed for the right price should make money. Well, that's a Thank wonderful you. overview of your perception of how, and it's so clear, and helpful about the future of theatrical uh, distribution. Can we uh, shift and ask what is what do you what is your prognosis for market research? Well, market research has never been more important. I'm proud to be in the field of market research and data analytics because information. Everyone talks about content being king. Uh, it is distribution. Some argue. King, it is. Marketing, probably the most important because people don't know about your content. They're never going to see it no matter where it is or no matter what it is. King. But information is, to me, the most important thing you can have. Sadly, in the, throughout the years, research has been used as a weapon rather than a tool. But if you really do embrace data and analytics and, and, and information as a way to assist you in better business decisions, hell, that's to me, the, the, you know, the creme de la creme, because it's just giving you better and more informed ways to make better and more informed decisions, you know, to understand the problem and then to say, okay, I'm not shooting at this with just my instincts. That is boring now. That is too cute. Nobody has the ability to know what in this fragmented world, what the most, most studio executives do not know what 15 year old girls, regardless of their race, ethnicity, um, gender, uh, girls think yet they're making movies for them or they're making a television show for them. I am a huge believer in diversity 
We have made a major effort and push internally within my company to form an idea coalition, which is, you know, inclusion, diversity, equity, and awareness in order to bring as many voices into the room as possible. We genuinely believe that the more diverse voice you can have, the most diverse um, as, and as many diverse voices you can have on a particular issue, the better the, the results will be because the interpretation of those results are what comes after the data and the information. And then once we get our own house in, in even better order than it already is, we want to bring that to the industry. And I want to partner with some of my competitors and bring uh, a rethinking of how we analyze people in buckets. You know, this notion of demography, you know, putting everyone in a male or female bucket or a under this age or over this age or African-American and black in this bucket and Hispanic and Latino in this bucket and Caucasian in this bucket and Asian in this bucket. You know, those are ways of sort of feeding into an institutional racism because media, although linear television still buys media through those sorts of demographic areas and ways, all the digital marketing and where things are heading from a from a way to reach consumers is getting far more about psychographics and about finding common behaviors and attitudes. And I think we may not have a lot of power at my company, but I noticed you used words to introduce me of influential. We do have influence. And I would like to be part of the solution to bring positive change to our industry, to think of people as people and the common kinds of shows that bond us together are, are go beyond the borders of, of race and ethnicity and gender and age. There are shared values there. And there are certainly cultural cues that come into play, but that to me is where things are heading with market research, re-examining how we are looking at people at the, at the grassroots level, at the, at the most basic level of demographic versus psychographic um, you know, interpretation. Thank you. Thank you very much, both both Jason and Kevin, for this insightful and, and thoughtful dialogue and discussion about where we are and where we're going and how we use research. You're very and welcome. I also, yeah, pleasure. and I'd like to thank everybody for listening in today. Thank you.